welcome to the Faith Today podcast. My name is Karen Stiller. And I'm Bill Fladeris. Karen, I wanted to ask you what you took away from this discussion that you had with Leslie Von Milligan. It sounds really interesting. You know, it really was. Leslie is, I would say this, I don't know if she would call herself, she was very humble, so she probably wouldn't say, I am an expert in helping parents disciple their children, but I think she definitely is that. She's the Canadian Director of Congregational Ministry and Team Lead for Regional Catalyzers of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, and she works with churches and their families. And she uh, was so sort of easygoing and laid back about how parents can approach helping their children grow in their faith, meaning that there's not really a formula, that it doesn't have to be one size fits all, that if you're, you know, daily devotional time with your children, if you have such a thing, doesn't look like uh, the ones on Instagram, that's probably okay, you're probably doing a good job. And just how churches and parents can help each other as we all, um, you know, try to introduce our children to the love of Jesus. So I found it really encouraging. Did you talk about, like, I, I think in the past, some of us have thought as parents that the church has all the expertise in helping our kids to grow in their faith. And so we kind of leave it to the church. And is this a kind of a saying, well, maybe there's more that should go on at home? Is that... Yeah, that's exactly right. And Leslie would say that the church did a disservice to parents by sort of professionalizing ministry to children. In fact, that a lot of, especially now when families are busy and they might not even have time for these sorts of church programs that are going on, that, yeah, parents are a major influencer. Our kids are watching us as we know all too well if we have children or had children growing up in our homes. And how we live out our faith and how we share our questions and our answers and even our doubts. We talked about that too, like how, how, how honest are we with our children with our own questions? That, that's just hugely important. And one, one of the things that Leslie says that I, I thought families will find really helpful is, you know, use car rides, use driving to soccer or whatever to, as opportunities to talk about faith. And I thought it was just a super realistic talk that should encourage everyone, no matter how much of a wreck you think you are in your family, you're, you're probably doing okay. I love it that there's good ideas from people like Leslie, though. Like, yes, we can be models, but it also helps for us to be intentional, right? And so when we get these ideas like, yeah, why don't you make try and try and use that car ride? I'm like, thank you, Leslie, and thank you yes. <laughs> all those experts out there that think about these things for us. Yes, everyone is going to say thank you, Leslie, when they hear this, I think. So, Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's an important topic. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting that we are post-ish, COVID-ish, <laughs> we hope. And you, in your um, position as Canadian Director for Congregational Ministries for the Christian Reformed Church in North America, I know you're working with churches and kind of reshifting and maybe rebuilding. What are you seeing on the ground, Leslie? How are churches doing right now? I think churches have found themselves in a crisis point in that after the pandemic, volunteers aren't coming back. There are families who aren't engaging in ministry in the same way. They, they love the opportunity to sit in their pajamas and experience worship online. And programs 
aren't getting off the ground. So what we used to rely on is you, you, uh, we get our kids into Sunday school, we get our kids into youth group opportunities. And what we're finding now is that between the lack of volunteers and the lack of support, we need a new way to look at how to support faith formation from, you know, three years old to 93 years old. And it's not going to be a programmed way like we did in the past. And so what I feel we're leaning into that's going to be more sustainable, A, is we have to see how to do life intergenerationally and that that supports families at the center of faith formation. And the study is so significant because we, A, need to know what families have already been doing when it comes to supporting the faith of uh, growth of their children, but also what their expectations for support in that. So if you go back to the program model, we often were actually pulling parents away from doing that faith formation work in the home by either saying, we've got this, we're the experts, or we're going to keep you so busy that you're not going to have those reflective conversations about faith with your children because we're just going to keep you so busy. And the pandemic really accelerated those two realities to say, we got to figure out how to best support families and surround them intergenerationally so that we're all growing in our, in our faith together as a community. Yeah. Wow. There's so much in there, Leslie. And I, I don't want to miss the first few things you said, because I think they might be, uh, well, they're kind of alarming words, but they may also be comforting words for other churches uh, listening. And that is the that lack of volunteer, because I've, I've seen that in our own church here in Ottawa. It's hard to get things moving again, like even on Sunday morning, uh, a lack of volunteers, which points to your other point about people have did embrace that I think I'll stay on the couch in my jammies uh, model of church attendance that might be really hard to break out of. So I, I just want to kind of pin a, put a pin in that because that's, I think, something everyone is experiencing. Well, if you think about what we kind of headed towards in church ministry was an efficiency model. Well, if everybody's coming to worship, then let's do our youth group and our Sunday school programming, any other faith forming type program. Let's all do it in the morning. <laughs> Because we've got people right. here and they're busy. But the, what the efficiency model didn't take into account was two and a half, three years of we're not gathering. So how do we create that connectivity again? And I think what we're being called into right now is a much messier approach. It's not going to be, here's our program for this, that, and the other thing. It's going to be, we're going to listen to our parents what would really help you to have the kind of conversations you want to have with your children? Because, you know, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of churches brought Sunday school bags on and dropped them off at porches and, and driveways. And parents said, we don't have time for this. So we didn't actually right. ask what they wanted. We just assumed this is what they needed. And so part of the invitation right now is to say, how important is this to you as a parent and what can we do to support that so that you know that you not only have the capacity but the resources to be the parents that walk alongside your children as they grow in faith. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the uh, study when we're talking about the Parenting Faith Study, of course, which looked at and is looking at the faith formation that evangelical parents do with their children in the home. So that's kind of the base of the study that was that shaped some of the questions that were asked, of course, of parents. 
And so I want to ask you first, what do we mean when we say faith formation? I think I know what you mean. Is it the same as spiritual formation, which is a term I'm probably more familiar with? Yeah, I think there's, uh, we could say discipleship. We could say faith formation. We could say spiritual formation. The idea that we're constantly growing to be more and more like Jesus The Spirit is working through us to change us, and the Spirit can do the work on its own. Let's let's just be clear about that. We're not trying to step in the way, but the beauty is that we're invited to be part of the journey. So as an individual, I participate in my own faith growth. I do that through faith practices or spiritual disciplines, but we also, with those who are newer to the faith, younger in the faith, we create spaces where we can support their growth too, give them opportunities to grow and to and to learn. So it's not just a learning model, it's also, you know, experiencing service and experiencing um, worship and a, a variety of ways that we, we grow to know Jesus more and more. So Leslie, when I was growing up as a child in in the church that we went to at least, my faith formation happened completely on Sunday mornings, <laughs> you know, between the time my parents dr- dropped me off at Sunday school, you know, in that special building that happened to be in our church, or and then picked me up. When we had kids, uh, we were much more intentional, like, or we tried to be. And boy, you use the word messy. We were the messiest of messy, I think, um, trying to do, you know, family devos that always ended in disaster and crying and, you know, <laughs> lots of chaos. And, but, you know, definitely uh, talking about our faith uh, openly, hoping that they would see us engaging in spiritual disciplines. Um, we definitely valued volunteering together. And of course, we were, a, we were a clergy family, so there was no end to opportunities to volunteer together. Um, but it was definitely much more intentional for Brent and I than it would have been for my parents. And now, you know, our kids don't have kids yet, but we're entering that era. So I'm just wondering, does this, do we get better at this <laughs> as the generations go on? Or, or how, tell me about that. No, I think it's a polarity that we have to learn to live in the tension. So when we um, lean too much into the intentional, like I'm, I'm a product of catechism. We okay. got graded in catechism. Right. We had exams. That's probably a little too intentional, <laughs> right? Like people can really push back against that. And it can send a, a message that it, once you've graduated from catechism, you're in, you've got it. And it creates a graduation model. Like, okay, I've completed this class. I'm in, I make profession of faith or whatever, and I'm, I'm on my way. And we did very little in my tradition to support the continued faith growth of people. And we know today that what we need as young people is way different than when we're middle-aged and in the third third of our faith life, when we see the end more closely than we remember the beginning, there's a lot of different spiritual work we have to do there. So it, this is a lifelong journey. And so I think the intentional was too much placed on, this is what we've done with children and not enough on the lifelong journey. And that would be that organic you know, how do we how do we do what Deuteronomy says that uh, when we're out walking and we're talking and we're living life together, how do we help people think and reflect theologically on where does God show up in this? And so I know our intentional practice, we have two uh, girls who are in their 30s now, and we would go to movies and they'd say, do we have to talk about this or can we just enjoy the movie? 
right? <laughs> and so that's good. You know, My kids have said the exact same thing. <laughs> right. well, we're a double <laughs> clergy family, so there was no winning for my girls. But, you know, we want to be able to say, yep, there's a time for formal learning. There's a time for formal service. But there's also a time where we just reflect on God breaking into our lives and uh, continuing to help us to know uh, God's story, but our place in it as it continues to be written. So I, I think the church often is a pendulum swing, and we've got to learn to live more in the tension. And in the, it's in the tension and the messiness, actually, that we will do better. Yeah. So you mentioned this phenomenon of churches, which we did too, dropping off supplies, you know, at the foot of the driveway and urging parents to do it. And you mentioned busyness as an obstacle, but I also wonder about just like nervousness or fear or anxiety about like, I don't know. I don't know these Bible stories necessarily, maybe with some parents. So is that a thing too, where parents need to feel confident in their role as I'm guessing, primary faith formers with their children? Oh, I think so, definitely. I think youth ministry and Sunday school models from the past generation has kind of said, we've got this, we're the professionals. And unfortunately, it's happened everywhere in the education of children. You get to volunteer in your child's school classroom, maybe until they're in fifth grade, grade five, and then they don't really want you there. And they kind of say, mm -hmm. we've got this. And so we've given a message all around parenting that there's somebody who can do this better than you. And it's an unfortunate consequence to ha having professional children's leaders, professional youth leaders. Now, I'm not saying we don't need them and that they haven't done great work, but the messaging has often been, uh, there's really nothing for parents to do. And so part of that lack of confidence is they haven't had to practice it a lot. The other lack of maybe confidence or even feeling competent is if your church has this kind of graduation motif where I've finally committed myself to the church and there is no ongoing discipleship and growing, you can't give what you don't get, right? right and so, right. and again, most churches have been most anxious about that zero to 18 or zero to maybe 25 age group. And they've kind of said the rest of you are on your own. And I think we're also reeling from that reality as well. So Leslie, uh, in my own life, I do a lot of reading. Well, I'm in a big Ruth Haley Barton <laughs> nice. phase right now, if you're familiar with her, listening, enjoying her podcast and so on. And what I'm learning, I think one of the things I'm learning is that this idea I used to have that spiritual formation looks like 20 minute devotional time in the morning, and then you know this and that and the other thing isn't necessarily right, or that the devotional time can look very different depending on our personalities, and they, it may look different at different times of life, which I think you're alluding to. So I guess I'd like to ask, when we're talking about faith formation and spiritual formation activities, activities, that word, for family and family life, what are we talking about? Are we talking about nightly supper table, dad gets mad <laughs> devotional time? <laughs> or you mentioned the talking and the walking, and but what other things are we talking about? Well, I think, again, rather than fighting the busyness of a family life, we've got to find ways to help support how families live their lives together. Maybe devotional 
book that mom can throw in her purse or can be thrown in the car and as we're on our way to soccer practice and I know for some people this sounds very sacrilegious you know you need to set carve out a place and a time but I think we also have to be realistic we don't know how often our families are even having meals together these days let alone time to um, as I did growing up open the Bible read the Bible maybe read a bit of a devotion and pray together our kids grew up that way but I can't assume every family grows up that way and we can fight and we can say oh well you need to take your kids out of activities I don't think that that actually supports families it just makes them feel guilt and shame and it pushes them away from something that could give them life as a family together growing in faith so it could be hey here's a small devotional throw it in your book and or in your purse and then as you're waiting for the next soccer game take some time to talk and pray together do a kind of faith five activity you know tell me about your day what went well what didn't go well what can we pray about and who can we pray for after out of that like there's small practices that we can do together that can fit into the way families live today that actually might make us more hungry for other things but if we set the bar so high this is the only way you can do faith together i, I think people just give up absolutely it it goes wrong and you think you can't my family can't handle this or something. And there's seasons of faith practices that we can do. And again, if we think intergenerationally, where it isn't just on the parent or on the child or, you know, how can we get together and have a meal once a month with people within our congregation and share faith and life with each other? And it, it does some social things. It helps us to be connected to each other. How can we look to some of our seniors who have been doing this for a long time? They've gone through seasons of dryness. They parented before. We're not also gaining wisdom from a variety of people if we just put the onus on whatever we consider the family unit to be. I love what you said about the car, time in the car. And first of all, it (laughs) brought back a memory for me of driving my kids to Awana and doing the, you know, trying to squish all the scripture memorization for Awana (laughs) into the 10 minute car drive. And then, and I'd be like, go in and ask if you can go first. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great story. Somehow they got their badges, but um, yeah, so a lot can happen in the car. And I do think that was something that came up with the Parenting Faith study results is that car time was talking time, potentially, if you made it that way and were intentional. Well, if you remember from those car trips, I remember my girls sharing tons of stuff with me because they weren't making eye contact with me. Right. And so they were trying some things out on me and sharing things with me without me kind of looking deep in their soul. And that just gave them permission to share some things that they might not have had we been sitting around the table. And so I think leveraging all different kinds of time with each other and kind of uh, seeing every moment sacred. There's a beautiful devotional out right now that's all prayers, prayers for doing the laundry, prayers for when the supper burns. And again, for some people that may sound really sacrilegious, but I think what it says is that we know God is part of every part of our day and we don't take advantage, if you will, of that and having those smaller holy moments that again could create a thirst for more. Yes. Well, I mean, it sounds to me very Brother Andrew-ish, right? Like, 
you know, be contemplative as you're chopping the carrots or yes. be aware of God's presence. And and it would seem to me that if that would be something we could implant in our children, an awareness of God's presence in our every moment of our lives, that would be a huge gift. I think the other gift to give our kids is maybe twofold. It's It's the gift of curiosity and wonder, but also the gift of space to have doubt. Oh, nice. And I, I feel like as parents, we so desire for our kids to, to know Jesus, to have a faith walk, to, to be engaged, at least at that level. And, and if we're honest, to, to find a faith community to be engaged with. But uh, that can get in the way of making space for, for our kids to be curious about things that we don't know how to answer or to have wonder about things, and we need to not close that down, but also a place to say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I get it, I'm not sure I believe this, I'm not sure where I fit in. And that so pushes our parent button of wanting to fix it, we need to kind of open some space for those things, I think. So Leslie, tell me if I'm the one feeling, I don't know about this, I'm not sure I get it, and having my own doubts and questions as a parent, should I share those? Or is that age dependent? I'm going to go age dependent. Mm. So I also think that as parents, there are some good tools out there to learn what can our children at different ages and stages actually process. And so saying that too early to a child may actually be really disconcerting saying that to a teenager and saying, you know, I understand that. I remember that from when I'm young. And there are times right now that I don't actually shows vulnerability and humility in the faith walk rather than I've got all the answers or, you know, if you just believe the same as me, we're going to be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That makes, that makes sense to me. I would like to talk about choice. First, an obvious one is, and I think an old one is, do our kids get to choose whether or not they go to church once they reach a certain age, or even not a certain age ever. And the second would be, and this came up in the Parenting Faith Study, about very committed Christian parents presenting a range of religious options. So not just do you go to church, but is Christianity the one true religion kind of level choice? Because they felt, if I understand correctly, that they weren't given those range of options, and that this generation of parents highly values choice. I mean, as does our culture, of course. So could you speak into those two things? But I am really curious about your, do you, as I did, pull the sleeping body of your teenager off the bed, bribe him with an Egg McMuffin, and arrive at church 20 minutes late? Yeah, that's so... That's such a tough question in that you got to know your your child. Mm-hmm. Right? So yes. maybe that that would work in your situation. I mean, our girls, so again, both my husband and I are ordained, and they would get up almost every other Sunday and go, do we have to go to church today? I'm like, when in your young life did you not, not only, you're, you're cutting the bread for communion this morning. You know, that was <laughs> the depth to which we were, it was a family enterprise for us, for better or for worse. And I can see that in many ways, um, they've actually had a hard time finding congregations where they fit in because that was the level of commitment and engagement that they were used to. And um, they don't often find that in other places, nor do they find people their age there. And so they say, I'm not sure that there's any place out there for me anymore. So I, I think it's it's probably child dependent. 
I think choice is important, but we all know that there are some things that we know will really bless our kids to participate in, even when they don't want to. And you've probably heard the example, my girls did not like to brush their teeth, but they still had to brush their teeth. And sometimes we had to have a chart to for incentive. And they didn't always see until they went to the dentist and heard no cavities. We know, if we are believers ourselves, we know that living in community with other Christians, we know that growing in faith, we know that life with Christ is a good thing. So why wouldn't we want that for our kids? So I think the idea of giving choice may seem like we're not cramming it down their throats, but we're also saying, this is, this is good. There are other good things. And for me, I don't think there's anything better than walking with Jesus. So I don't know how right, to, right. to offer that as a choice. It's the same as when, do you remember when Swiffer first came out? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do. <laughs> it was like a miracle. And I can remember walk. I was like an evangelical for, for Swiffer. You've got to get this thing. And I had an aha moment. Why am I not the same with uh, sharing the good news of what of life in Christ? And so I think that choice thing might be somewhat misguided in, in saying we don't want to cram it down their throats. But if you've been changed by living the life of faith by a relationship with Jesus, why wouldn't you want that for your children? Yes, yeah. And also, I mean, good things can happen out of discipline and hard work. I mean, that's a truth, too. So for me personally, I don't think, and maybe I'm just really fortunate, but I don't think I've ever gone to church when I maybe didn't feel like it and wished I hadn't gone. You know, usually within the first 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm really glad I made the effort. And I'm not saying our kids will necessarily feel that way, but you know, usually once they're there, they're not trying to escape anymore. But yeah, that's, that's okay. That's really interesting. Because I do think, I mean, we've seen that again and again in churches that uh, where my husband is pastored, where, you know, the church, the kids reach a certain age, I think we were often the only parents literally forcing our children to go to church. Like we just, it's like you live in the house, you go to church. That's, that's was as blunt as we were about it. Well, and preacher's kids have a little bit different. What they're pushing back against is not just whether or not to show up for worship or to participate in youth group or whatever. It's, I'm not sure I, you know, I, I want to, f- how much agency do I have in my own life to, to create my own sense of how I'm going to live out my faith? And I think that's probably right. just on overload in a, in a pastor's home. So it's, it, Yes. You know, but we did give our kids church uh, choices. They had been a part of a Christian's girls group that they just loved. And then when we had moved to a different congregation, they just did not resonate with the youth pastor and, and stuff. And we said, we would like you to try it for six times. And then if that doesn't work, we'll support you in something else. But we nice. want you to give it a try. And I'm not, I'm not trying to lift myself up as a parent, but... Because the pressure, of course, on us was your kids will go to all things. And that also is not fair, right? No, absolutely. And and having them always push back against that actually was deformative for them. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a good word. So I think that's the other questions that parents have to ask. Are there other ways to form faith? Maybe they, you know, yeah, man, I just cannot get up for worship. Well, then we would like to serve together for a while. And maybe that's your entree. And we need more doors Mm. in. 
Okay, that's really interesting. And I will say that we were always pretty clear, it doesn't have to be our church. Like you can go to any church you want. Um, but, uh, you know, the drive is t- to our church. Yeah, there you <laughs> so, go. If you have your walking <laughs> shoes on, you're good that's to go. right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, okay, that's really helpful. So, as you, uh, so we've kind of been talking about, and maybe in, to parents, but as you think about the pastors of your congregations and just pastors in general and youth leaders we talked about, what kind of advice? or guidance would you provide them or what should they have on their radar now as you know as the results of this parenting faith study come out and just as we hopefully people do keep coming back to church but even not um if they don't like what should pastors and youth leaders be thinking about these days i think we have to find a way to make conversational space so that um when they do ask questions and they and they listen to parents, it doesn't feel like um, judgment. Like I don't think there's anything more in life where we feel more judged than it, when we're parents. You know. Uh, oh boy, yeah, um, true. And, and we do it to ourselves. Uh, there's intergenerational judgment because you know my mom didn't raise me to do blah 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 or whatever. But then we judge each other, parent to parent. I can remember when our neither of our girls really wanted to be in soccer, but everybody in our neighborhood was in soccer. And so all the moms were, I can't believe you don't have your kids in soccer. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? They don't have my kids in soccer. Like, And I knew that my kids didn't want to be, but that sense of I was not being a good enough parent because I hadn't offered this to them was pretty strong. And mm-hmm. I think we do that all the time. And I think especially from a church where if the only way to engage in faith formation is in our programs, and if your kids aren't coming to our programs, it's very easy to say, well, it's not the kid's fault. You're the one who has the car. You get them here. Um, that The message can be pretty judgy and strong. And so how can we create spaces where parents can say, this is what would really help me um help my my son or daughter engage in uh, reflective, faith-forming conversation. Help me do that. And if we're a program church where the only place that that happens is on Wednesday nights, youth group, and my kid skates, then I'm out. Right. Or if our worship is not inclusive and accessible to a variety of ages and stages. And my kid says, I don't get anything out of it. What do I do? So having conversation, that's where that intergenerational piece comes in. How do we see us as a community all trying to grow through service and worship and learning and creating a place of belonging. That's what our kids really want is a place of belonging. Are you going to love me when I push back? Are you going to love me when I'm off to university? Are you going to still reach out to me? Um, Those are the kinds of questions we need to ask and we need to support parents, not create uh, barriers that they have to make choices. It's either the church or it's my kid. Right. Yes. Okay. That's really good. And that word curiosity came up again in my mind as you were speaking, Leslie. So being curious about what parents want and need from the church and what we are best positioned to provide. Well, we don't have to be everything to everyone. I think Mm. that's the other Mm -hmm. fallacy that a lot of congregations are living into right now. They look over the fence and they go, well, that's, we need a better youth group. We need a better, what if God has only called us to do one thing and to do it well? 
And then we're going to do it intergenerationally. So I know a congregation that is on a wetlands and they felt that they're called sanctuary and they felt called into taking care of this bird sanctuary, this wetlands and newcomers to the country. And they do it intergenerationally. They don't have a youth group, but their youth are very involved in caring for the wetlands. Their youth are learning with other. So they said, we know what we can do. This is yeah, what we wow. can do. And they said to parents, we'll bless you on your way if you, if you have other needs, but you're always welcome here. And we'll help you find maybe another place that could support you differently. Like we don't have to be com- uh, competitive in this. Our job is to help people land in a place where they will grow. Leslie, I think that is so important and, you know, prophetic, I'm going to say, to say we don't need to be competitive. But my experience of, of churches in communities is that that is very normal to have this competitive thing going on. Well, I think uh, that competition has been from the attractional model. If we have right. the best youth group, if we have the best Sunday school, if we have a play place <laughs> yes. so that after Sunday school, the kids can play in the play place while mom and dad have coffee, we have a better- A giant replica of Noah's Ark. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> which is all well and good, but it's peripheral to actually supporting faith growth. Mm. And so if a church said, you know what, we're only 150 people, we can't do all those things. But we can gather faithfully and support our families and we'll listen to them and we're going to take out 10 pews so that all of our our children can worship with us. We're not going to siphon them off and they know they belong here. They hear God's story. They know their place in it. They um, experience God's call on their life and we support them in that. They contribute, they pass out the bulletins, whatever. That gives a congregation hope. And that can be good. We don't have to be everything to everyone. We just have to serve where God plants us and then partner with what the Spirit's doing in that place. Preach it, Leslie. (laughs) Hey, um, with the Parenting Faith Study, they asked the question why you attend a church. Like they asked parents what is important when you're sort of choosing a church. And I was really surprised to see that teaching and preaching came up really high as a primary reason, followed by doctrinal alignment. And then third was the community that the church offered as a reason they attended their local church. So what I'm not seeing are great youth programs or, you know, shiny places full of coffee machines or whatever, which is all wonderful. But are you surprised that those are the reasons these parents list it? I'm, I'm not actually. I think it just shows the disconnect when we're not listening to parents, we're projecting what we think. And again, if it's an attractional model and we know that people are coming because we have the best play place or we have the best, and, and I don't want to sound derisive, that, I, that's not my, right, right. Uh, um, I, I think we, it just shows the disconnect. So if you, as, a, as a pastor, as a preacher, I hear those are the important things an understanding of doctrine, a place to reflect theologically, maybe a a deep understanding of scripture, and then um, good preaching. Well, I'm also going to adjust my preaching so that that seventh grader or that six-year-old is able to take something out of the service. 
And that means that we have to change, actually, rather than what what we're projecting out there on parents. And so I think that's the big challenge for us. If that's what they say they want, are we able to deliver it in a way that a wide variety of people can hear those things, can access those things? That's good. I, I will say I heard, I heard it as good news in a way. I, I, well, I definitely did. I heard it as good news because I thought, yeah, okay, solid preaching, core beliefs, and people want community. Like it, it feels to me that that's something that every church could probably provide. Yeah, and uh, one of the lenses when I work with churches is it's not a program, but there's kind of four basic things. People need to know God's story and their place in it. That's that preaching and teaching. But people also need to know that they that God has a call on their life and we need to support it. So we need to invite people into service and into being able to contribute, not just to be um, receive, recipients of our programs. And then they need to um, understand that they belong, that they, that, this, that they belong to God and to each other. And so that's that belonging piece. And I think altogether, it points towards hope. And if we've learned anything out of the pandemic, it was a pretty hopeless time. And that's one of the things the uh, church can speak into. We know where hope is. We can invite people into it. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it. 